0: Welcome to the program, I'm Jeff Schechter. As a society, we've all been brought up to believe deeply in the idea of the self-made man, the power of persistence and hard work, the Horatio Alger mythology of pulling oneself up by one's own bootstraps. In modern political theology, we hear about makers and takers, and Randian and libertarian ideas. We've embraced the quote by Thomas Jefferson, that the harder he works, the luckier he gets. What we leave out of the equation is the role of pure dumb luck, being in the right place at the right time, the existential circumstances over which we have no control and that often account for good and bad things happening. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Robert Frank. He's the H.J. Lewis Professor of Management and Professor of Economics at Cornell University's Johnson School of Management. He's been an Economic View columnist for the New York Times for more than a decade, and his books include The Winner-Take-All Society, The Economic Naturalist, and The Darwin Economy. It is my pleasure to welcome Robert Frank here to talk about his newest book, Success and Luck good fortune and the myth of meritocracy. Robert Frank, welcome back to the program.
1: Yes, it's great to be back with you, Jeff. It's great
0: to have you here. As we look around and look at attitudes towards luck as it relates, first of all, to success, have we gotten more and more sensitive to that idea in your view? Have we gotten more independent-minded in ways that creates nowadays, perhaps more than 20, 30, or 40 years ago, more pushback to the idea of luck?
1: I think we've definitely seen a, a, a move in that direction. I, th- I think it's partly because luck has gotten more important in success stories, ironically. And so I think when people who do succeed uh, look back on how they got there, the the most salient things in their memories are, are the hard work and the talents they, they demonstrated along the way, the occasional break that uh, – that help move them to the next level, uh, those things don't stand out quite as much. Uh the, the competitions have gotten much, much more intense. Uh the, the arenas in which people emerge as successful are, are way more bitterly competitive than in the past. And so almost always the people who are finalists in those competitions really are hardworking and talented. And so naturally, they, they think that's the unique explanation for why they succeeded. What they don't see is that there were many people in the competition who were just as hardworking and talented. And it's very rare, indeed, that the, the very most talented and hardworking contestant ends up the winner.
0: The other aspect of it, it seems that there are certain industries, certain businesses, certain pursuits that are the individuals in it are more open to the idea of, of luck playing a role, of being in the right place at the right time or having the right contact, that, that in certain arenas that's more accepted than others.
1: I guess, I guess that's right. Uh, certainly you see examples of a, a, a humility about how people got to the the top in lots of different arenas. I I, I like the example of Brian Cranston, the the lead actor in Breaking Bad. He was uh, the third choice, apparently, of the stu- studio bosses. Uh, the the first choice uh, turned the role down. The second choice turned the role down. Only then was Vince Gilligan able. To persuade the bosses to go with Brian Cranston, uh, he ended up, of course, being a brilliant t- choice. He won four Emmy- Emmys in the show's five seasons, but uh, he—he's well aware that he got that role by the skin of his teeth. And had he not gotten it, uh, nobody would know who he is today. Well, if you—if he, you'd watched. Malcolm in the Middle, you'd know, but I never watched that. Uh, I'd never heard of him.
0: <laughs> it's interesting that you use uh, Brian Cranston as an example because one of the areas that I think is more receptive to this idea is is the area of Hollywood because the mythology around people being discovered and and being in the right place and having the right relationship that that that's more accepted in that milieu than it is perhaps in the business world or in politics or in some other areas. Right,
1: right. And you know, when when people are reminded that they didn't get to the top without enjoying a break or two along the ways, they, they get very angry about that. Uh, recall the speech that Barack Obama gave in Virginia in 2012. Uh, it became known as the you didn't build that speech. Right. Uh, all he was doing was reminding people that if they had been born in South Sudan, uh, they probably wouldn't have made as much with their lives as they managed to do here. You know, they shipped their goods to market on roads the rest of us paid for. They, they hired people that we, we helped pay to educate. So if, if you'll think about the fact that it wasn't just you, you uh, the the effect of that typically is to make people a little bit more humble about their success and more generous uh, in helping to pay forward for the next generation that comes along. But but that wasn't the reaction. Uh, The reaction was they were angry. They thought the president was saying that they didn't deserve their success, that they weren't entitled to the lofty positions that they occupied. It's a challenge to get people to to just reflect calmly on the fact that, hey, you didn't do it all yourself.
0: You've had your own experience with this, as you've talked about this idea and talked about this book, that you've encountered pushback along the way.
1: (laughs) I I certainly have. Yeah, I uh, have had some very vivid experiences myself with with luck. I've written about it in in my Times column. Mm Uh, And typically, uh, columns on this subject generate an enormous amount of angry pushback. Uh, I I was once invited to be on a Fox News show where I got hammered nonstop for seven minutes for daring to suggest that luck might play a little bit of a role. The the host, in fact, was adamant. He had taken risks. He had come to this country with nothing. He had made a success of himself. Uh, I, I didn't think... Clearly or quickly enough to point out that if you say you took a risk, well, what's that? That means the possibility is that something would turn out badly. You take a risk and you succeed, then you're lucky by definition. You know, I didn't, I didn't have the wit to point that out to him on the air, but I wish I'd had, had the presence of mind to say that.
0: And then, of course, you've had your own experience with what you consider luck in terms of a uh, uh, health crises.
1: Yeah, I was – probably my most vivid luck experience uh, was in November of 2007. I was playing tennis with Tom Gilovich. He's my longtime friend and collaborator here at Cornell. Uh, He tells me that during the second set, as we sat during a changeover, I complained. I was feeling nauseated. The next thing he knew, I was lying motionless on the court. He, he knelt to investigate. I wasn't breathing. I had no pulse. He shouted for somebody to call 911 and then flipped me onto my back and started pounding on my chest. You know, I've never been trained to do that, neither had he. Uh, maybe you haven't either, but we've all no. seen it done in movies. So, so he at least had a rough idea of what to do. But uh, he said after about five minutes, he got a weak cough out of me, but then I died yet again. Uh, So he was about to give up when in through the door of the tennis facility bursts an EMT crew. They put the paddles on me. They got me revived. They rushed me to the hospital. They flew me to a larger hospital in Pennsylvania where they put me on ice overnight. Uh, and it was four days before I knew anything uh, had happened to me. I was completely uh, babbling nonsense from my hospital bed. But doctors told me I had suffered a, an episode of sudden cardiac death. People who, who experience that in the field, uh, 98% of them die. The 2% who survive, they told me, you don't want to meet them. They're, they're almost always severely damaged. And so... Uh, I was against all odds able to survive that uh, only because that ambulance got there so quickly. And here's the luck dimension. There was an extra ambulance only 100 yards away from the tennis center because there had earlier been two auto accidents that had occurred that, uh, had occurred that morning. One of them was able to peel off and come directly to me, uh, had, the, had the ambulance taken the usual 25 or 30 minutes to get there from town, I'm not here, so yeah, I'm. I, I'm not especially perceptive. I don't think and most people don't don't realize how lucky they are. I, I've been hit so hard over the head with luck that I I could hardly help but notice the luck I've had.
0: So much of it has to do with, and you you talk about this in the book. So much of it has to do with the way we perceive ourselves and the the, the narrative that we create for our own lives. And why, in doing that, it's, it, we often want to tease out the idea of luck?
1: You know, I think uh, a lot of people seem to worry that people will think less of them if they enjoy a lucky break or two along their path to the top. That's, that's just not the way people react, however. Here, here's a thought experiment. Uh, there are two people, both very successful, one tells you he did it all himself. It had, if it hadn't been for his unusual talents and hard work, he, uh, he never w- would have occupied the position he has today, uh, which is probably true. Uh, another uh, also sounds confident, but admits that, well, uh, I wouldn't have uh, met those investors in my company if a speaker at the conference I was invited to hadn't canceled at the last minute, uh, and none of the magic in our labs would have happened except for that, that lucky break. Which of those two would you rather have dinner with, rather have a drink with? Uh, you know, I think, I think most of us would say the second guy sounds like he'd be a, a more interesting person to sit and talk with. If you were thinking about somebody to, to, to have on your team, uh, maybe he'd be more likely than the other guy to put the team's interest ahead of his own if there was a conflict and nobody was looking. So, yeah, I think people uh, would profit if they would lighten up just a little bit and, and embrace the fact that they were lucky in various ways.
0: What is the nexus, as you see it, between people that are in denial about the role of luck and oftentimes they're the same people that are very happy to go to Vegas or Monte Carlo or anywhere else and engage in games of chance and, and be lucky or not. How do they rationalize and, and, and sort of keep together those two ideas?
1: You know, a lot of people who who gamble in those ways don't think of it as luck. Uh, they, they read books on how to pick lottery numbers. They, they, they think that uh, the way they spin the dice uh, is going to affect the numbers that come up. So I think, yeah, there's there's this illusion that people have control, even in domains where it's transparently random. The, the lottery uh, uh, started experimenting. They started giving people the right to pick their own numbers in a few cases, uh, and sales of lottery tickets immediately shot up people thought if they could pick their own numbers, they'd be much more likely to win.
0: One of the other aspects, and you touched on this before, is is the idea that that what makes somebody very successful or even moderately successful, the difference between is oftentimes a very, very small, almost trivial advantage that sometimes has to do with luck and sometimes has a multiplier effect associated with it.
1: Right. What we know is that uh, every life trajectory every career path consists of thousands of individual steps you know most of them are substantive They're, you know how hard did you work how good were you at what you did uh, there are at least a few however that are purely random so maybe somebody was offered a promotion uh, one of your colleagues he was slightly more qualified than you uh, he had an ailing parent he couldn't accept the offer you got the promotion That changes everything from then on. Uh, A a tiny course shift uh, in in an early stage will mean compounding case after case, and, and the place you end up is gonna be vastly different than if that hadn't happened. But that's not something you see. You see the final outcome, and then you try to build a narrative that accounts for why that thing happened. So you see somebody who's successful, the obvious explanation is, talent and hard work. And those are are almost always necessary, not always, but almost always necessary. And then you're done. You know, the the chance events that led that person to be selected, uh, as in the Cranston example, just don't get prominent attention when we think about those things.
0: How much of it is cultural? If we look at this whole conversation in the context of, of Western culture or even American culture versus other places in the world?
1: yeah it it's clear that these are big issues that uh, societies all around the world think about and need a, a kind of a narrative to help them deal with. you know if a a child dies, uh, you know what what's the explanation for that if if uh, strange and otherwise inexplicable things happen we 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 see comfort in Sort of larger explanation. The Hindus have karma. You know, there, Every tradition has a narrative. But for me, uh, it, it's just always been difficult to imagine that there's any puppeteer up, up there making things happen. It's not really destiny. Uh, that's not a, a comfortable view for me. Just uh, strange. Things often do happen, and and you know, how we adjust to them, how we interpret them, how we react to them, really matters in terms of how successful we'll be. It's it's good to think that that luck doesn't matter. If you were faced with a choice, what should I tell my kids? Uh, that luck's really important, uh, or should I tell them luck doesn't matter? It's all up to you. I'd, I'd favor that second message as. Uh, one that's more likely to get them to do what they need to do in order to have a chance to succeed.
0: It's interesting that it becomes a zero-sum game.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and look, uh, there are many domains. You've got to find a domain that's right for you. We try out all sorts of things. Uh, if you're good at something, that feels good. Uh, and so you, you're more likely to spend time in a domain where you get that feeling, and you're more likely to succeed if you do that. And so I think uh, the traditional view that it's all up to you, you're the captain of your fate, uh, is probably a pretty effective view to hold if you're going out into the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the challenge is that uh, if you're trying to build a good society, you just have to also embrace the seemingly contradictory view that no one is really the captain of his own fate. you know, try try succeeding if you're born in South Sudan. you're not you're not going to make it. So we've we've got to set up the conditions that allow people to succeed.
0: and And even among people that succeed in the US or in the West in general, you you can almost look at it. You don't have to look at it in terms of faith, but you can't even look at it in in scientific terms. Just with respect to, to randomness of events and the way those events often overlap. I mean, you, you can almost think about it as, as a kind of algorithm where certain events just come together in certain ways.
1: Right. Strange things happen, but uh, when they produce an outcome, we don't look for the odd strange thing that, that made the outcome possible. We look for the obvious explanation. Uh, Duncan Watts, who's one of my favorite sociologists has a, a nice piece in one of his recent books about the Mona Lisa. He was visiting the Louvre, uh, a few years ago. Uh, if you've been there and gone to see the Mona Lisa, you know that it's very difficult to, any, to get anywhere close to the painting. There are hundreds of people elbowing one another aside for a closer look at it. Uh, he finally made it, uh, up close and, and thought, well, wow, what's so great about this painting? Uh, that that was incidentally my reaction when I saw it for the first time. He went to the adjacent gallery. There were two other Leonardos in that gallery uh, from the same period, same new brushstroke technique as in the Mona Lisa. Nobody cared about those two paintings. So he did a little we- reading on the subject. And what he discovered was that the Mona Lisa had been a completely obscure painting. Uh, was obscure as a Leonardo could be, until 1911. Nobody had written about it. Nobody had remarked about it. Uh, It was obviously by a a famous artist, but that was its its only claim to fame until then. Then, in 1911, it was stolen from the Louvre by an Italian maintenance worker. He tucked it under his cloak one evening and and walked out with it. It was the first time ever that photographs of a work of art were splashed across the front pages of newspapers all around the globe. It was a huge uh, uh, media event. Uh, The crime went unsolved for two years. Uh, Finally, the thief tried to sell it to uh, a gallery in Florence to repatriate it. And it, it again, created another media splash, uh, photographs all around the world, uh, except for that fact, the Moda Lisa is just as as unfamous as those other two Leonardo's. Uh, we, we see it. Our critics tried to explain why it's famous by looking for objective qualities that the painting has. And there's been a ream of stuff written along those lines. But the real reason that it's famous, apparently, is that it was stolen. Uh, it's just like Kim Kardashian. She's famous for being famous right
0: the The other part of this is is acknowledging the nexus with decisions that we make. And it's interesting to think about this not in terms of of looking at lives retrospectively as, as for example, memoirs often do, but looking at it in terms of fiction where you really see from from 30,000 feet how the decisions that people make really do impact their lives and how luck plays a significant role in, in the randomness of those decisions.
1: Yeah, once you become sensitive to the role of chance events in long trajectories of lives or careers, uh, then then all this becomes quite easy to see. Examples abound of it. Mm -hmm. I think uh, when we look at the final outcome only and try to invent a narrative for it, it's just so easy to invent a simple narrative that fits the facts that we don't need luck. We don't, don't na- naturally think of random events to include in that story. The, the term hindsight bias is quite instructive. Uh, we see something uh, and we try to explain it. So uh, uh, an early experiment described a survey that asked people, uh, tried to investigate, who was better able to adjust to the rigors of military life, men from rural areas or men who'd grown up in cities? And subjects were told that the study had found that it was the rural men who did best. And the reaction of people was to say, well, okay, yeah, but why do you need an expensive study to discover something as obvious as that? But the twist in the the story was that the actual study had shown that it was the urban men who did much better in the military. But... If if you if you'd been told that first, it'd be easy enough to cook up a story why that was obviously true.
0: It, it's interesting to see it from the perspective of a place like Silicon Valley, for example, where where timing is such a critical issue. Where where two people and and we've seen this historically as well, two people come up with the same idea, the same invention. Yes. One is a success and, and one isn't because of place, time, etc.
1: Yeah, Bill Gates is, is, to his credit, very uh, forthright about uh, describing the, the key event, events that occurred along his path to becoming the richest man in the world. If, if, if IBM hadn't given him the right to, to charge royalties for each copy of MS-DOS that the company sold, uh, we'd have never heard of him today.
0: Talk about it in terms of preparation. I mean, the Jefferson quote being perhaps the penultimate example of that, the idea that the harder I work, the luckier I get.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, go back to the example of of Obama's speech. Uh, To to say that chance events matter is not to say that only chance events matter. The, The markets that bestow the biggest prizes today are incredibly competitive. The the people who have a reasonable shot at prevailing in those competitions are very driven people. They work really hard, they're really good. But here's the thing: there are limits to human talent and effort if there are tens of thousands of people competing for a top slot there are going to be lots of people who are up against those limits. Uh, One of them will be the most talented and most uh, effort-laden person in the group. That person's not going to be, on average, any more or less uh, lucky than anyone else. Breathing uh, down his neck will be a large number, a large absolute number of people who are almost as talented and hardworking. Some number of those will also have been very lucky. So in in mathematical simulations where luck matters only the tiniest uh, fraction in terms of performance that determines the outcome, almost never will the hardest working and most talented contestant win uh, in a arena like that. It will always be somebody who is almost as talented but was considerably luckier.
0: Of course the the overlay to all this is that of people who do believe in luck believe in this idea of chance and that, that perhaps it did play a role in their success that that understand it that accept it but will never admit it, kind of secret people that believe in luck
1: yeah you, you wonder whether in some cases they're they're trying to reinforce their claim to all the money that came their way if if I admit. I was lucky, then maybe the government will be more eager to take my money away from me with higher taxes. Uh, I, I don't think that's really the main explanation. I, I, I think when people look back over their life history and try to uh, explain to themselves, why, why did I do so well? Uh, they really were hardworking. They were, really were talented. They beat a lot of good people along their path to the top. So that's that's just the most available set of memories to construct your story out of. The the teacher who kept you out of trouble in the 11th grade, that's long forgotten. So let's say it's an in, in, innocent cognitive shortcoming that people overlook the, the role of luck, but what it does is it makes them way more resistant to paying taxes to help support opportunities for the next group that's coming along. Mm-hmm. So. The, the good news, really, is that if you're successful, if you have a lot of money, and you and others like you did pay a little bit more in tax, you'd still be able to buy all the special things that you crave, the same as now. The, the special things that you want are uh, allocated according to how much money you have to spend in relative terms. If you want a house with a, v- a view of the vineyard, uh, up on the hill, there are only so many sites that command uh, sweeping views. How do you get them? You bid against other people who want them. If you pay more in tax and others like you do uh, as well, then the bidding contests to determine who gets those things are, are settled in exactly the same way as before. So, so relax. You know, pay forward for the next group that comes along. You'll be happier. You'll be. Uh, you'll be. Uh, more at peace with yourself, and you'll still have all the special things that you care about.
0: Robert H. Frank, his book is Success and Luck, Good Fortune and the Myth of Meritocracy. Robert, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. What a pleasure, Jeff. Thank you.